We've started this series as we've moved into the season of Lent. We're, we're making our journey toward Easter Sunday. And in the church here, for those of us that observe the church here, it's just a, a time where we're reminded about the life of Christ, that Jesus came to earth. That we believe that that was a historical fact. And he was an actual person on earth, fully God, fully man. And he walked here among us and died for us. And then on Sunday, we get to that that climactic moment where the grave is open and he has risen from the, from the dead. And so this series is just helping us walk through that. I, uh, I got a text. The other reason I had my cell phone up here with me this morning, um, <clears throat> my friend and, and partner, colleague in ministry, uh, Pastor Isaac Wilson, he's a pastor up in Osborne, Kansas. And he and I have been working together on some of our preaching stuff and things that we're doing together. And uh, he's doing the same series. I, I kind of constructed the series, the, the, the theme of it. And um, he and I have decided we're going to try and preach similar things through this year. And so he's doing this as well. He's doing Unexpected Jesus up in Osborne this morning. And he sent me a text and he said, our church is praying for your church that you will meet with Jesus today. Isn't that great? And he gets to tell his people, you know, if you're in Wichita, go by Northwest Free Methodist because they're doing the same series we are. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. So Pastor Isaac and Osborne folks, if you're listening on the internet this week, thank you guys. God bless you. This week I'm talking about the humanity of Christ. And when I, whenever I say the word humanity, I go back to the words of the journalist who was commentating while they were running newsreel when the Hindenburg came to the United States. You guys remember that? You've probably seen the film footage. I'm sure you remember the words because they became immortalized as the Hindenburg caught fire and this airship just burned up right when it was supposed to be landing and docking. The journalist cried out and it was recorded on the film footage, Oh, the humanity. The loss of life, so, so poetically contained in those three words that these people who had come all the way across the ocean on this incredible machine, their lives were just snuffed out because they were just human after all. All of the humanity. And so we've been talking about Jesus and going back and trying to reconnect with some things about Jesus that we might forget or just walk around and not pay attention to very often. And this morning we want to think about how Jesus was human. And the, uh, last week I, I went through kind of a fun thing. We had some different artists' renderings of what Jesus might look like or how they view Jesus. And uh, this is one that I said, if you come into my study here, um, it's up on my wall. I grew up with this picture on the wall of our home. It's called Solomon's Head of Christ. Um, he's an awfully good-looking, blue-eyed Jesus. Uh, probably not accurate at all because he has very, very European features. Um, this one that I th- isn't very attractive, is it? But I mentioned to you last week that this one is a forensic reconstruction done from a skull that was found in Israel that has been dated to the time of Christ. They took it to the United Kingdom and some anthropologists reconstructed the facial features, and they kind of came up with this, that this is some 
Palestinian Jewish guy that lived at the time of Jesus. This is probably the closest we can come to what Jesus would look like. But you and I know that, that there's a lot of assumptions. To that. I mean, that's like taking another white guy from Kansas and saying he looks like me. And we all know that there's only one, and for that we're all grateful. Uh, but this is, you know, giving us an idea of what maybe his ethnic features were. And it reminds us that Jesus came to earth and he took the human form. Um, and it might be bothersome to us a little bit because when we think about needing God, we don't often think that we need a God who has been human. We need a God who is like, like deity. We need somebody who is way beyond human, superhuman. And in fact, you know, in, in American pop culture literature, superheroes have taken on an enormous uh, theme in our culture. And there are now, they're making film after film based on these superheroes. And you can't hardly go to the theater these days without another iteration of Marvel's superheroes. And they're fun and they're great stories because we all want somebody who has more going on than we do. They are stronger, they're faster, they can see through stuff, they can fly around the world quickly, they can intervene and stop trains that are crashing and pick up cars and throw them and stop invaders from outer space. We don't need more humans. we got lots of humans billions of them in the world, we need somebody who's not really human. We need somebody who is God. Or as my friend Brian Hartley, who's a great preacher, he likes to give God two syllables. God. You see, we have this notion that if I could put together what God should be like, he would not be like me. In fact, maybe even the he is a problem. I don't need a God like me. I am frail. I am not that smart. I'm not that strong. I get tired every day. I get hungry. I get hurt. I need a God who doesn't experience those things. That's my temptation. My temptation is to believe that. I want a God that is totally unlike me because me doesn't look that good. Or perhaps another thing that's problematic for us as we think about God being human is how could God actually become human? How could he take on that form without giving up his holiness, his power, his glory? How could he become human? Because human is frail and faulty and broken. And if you take that on, you're no longer perfect. And so for God to take on humanity has to be some kind of mistake. Or maybe just in our rational way of logical thinking, there's no way that Jesus could actually be both at the same time. Maybe he was God, but when he came here and he was born as a baby, he waited for someone to change his diaper. God doesn't need that. 
He waited for someone to feed him and burp him. How could that be God? So maybe he had to depart from his divinity to live among us for a while, and then he went back and took it on again. There have been all kinds of arguments down through history about how this is impossible. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we hold to this truth. We hold tightly to this truth because it's very important to us that he was fully God and fully human at the same time, at the same moment. And so I want to refer you to this passage in Hebrews. The writer of the Hebrews is talking about Christ who came and came into the world. So in Hebrews 2, 5 through 10, we read this. And furthermore... It's not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. For in one place, the scriptures say, what are mere mortals? Now, just let me just stop there for a moment. And instead of the words mere mortals, just, just in your mind read humans. What are humans? That you should think about them or a son of man that you should care for him. Yet for a little while, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. He's talking about all of humanity here. Made humans just a little bit lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. We would, we would probably agree with that, wouldn't we? We're humans and we haven't seen all things put under our authority yet. What we do see is Jesus. Who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. Just like us. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. So I highlighted that. Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader. So so keep that in your minds, or if you've got your Bible open, kind of keep your finger pointed there for a little while. You see, Jesus taking on human form, becoming fully human, and at the same time being Jesus Christ, fully God, is a brilliant form of sacrifice. That's what I would suggest to you. It was a brilliant form of sacrifice that he became both. And even though we can't understand how fully, completely, totally, all-powerful, almighty God at the same time gets hungry, gets tired, has to sleep, stubs his toe, bleeds, and dies as a human being. The two were fully in force all the time at the same time. And so we have a term for this. Theologically, if you study theology and you start to work it through what we call Christology, we have a term for it called the hypostatic union. Some say hypostatic union. So if you hear that in a moment, forgive them. I 
say it right. <laughs> Hypostatic union is how can you have this union where these two things are together at the same time, fully God and fully human in one being. Not God over here, human over there with some kind of a divide between them. No, the two completely together at all the same time. How could it be that human flesh once housed God? Well, some of you know that I'm kind of a fan of physics. And I like to say, although I'm glad I I didn't, I like to say that if I had studied anything else in college, I wish I had been a physics major. And so bear with me a minute because there's a short video, I hope this works, on how you can explain the hypostatic union through the laws of physics. So if you're a science person, you're going to love this. In physics, a particle is an object with a specific mass and location in space. Think cannonballs and baseballs, specks of dust and atoms. A wave, on the other hand, is an oscillation of energy through space. Think of sunlight or a radio wave or your microwave oven. In traditional physics, these two things are mutually exclusive. That is to say, something is either one or the other. If it's a particle, by its very nature, it can't be a wave, and vice versa. But as scientists began experimenting with smaller and smaller particles, they made a mysterious discovery. At its most basic level, matter exhibits the characteristics of both a wave and a particle at the same time. In experiments with electrons, for instance, sometimes these particles would exhibit the properties of a wave, and other times the properties of a particle, depending on the method of observation. The term wave-particle duality describes this conundrum, that the most basic particles of matter have the nature of a wave and the nature of a particle at the same time. Albert Einstein put it like this, We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither the wave theory nor the particle theory fully explains the phenomena, but together they do. The concept of wave-particle duality is a helpful analogy for talking about the Incarnation. What happened, that is, when God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Christians have always maintained that in Jesus, two distinct and different natures, our human nature and God's divine nature, came together in one person. Traditionally, theologians have used the term hypostatic union to describe this conundrum. Hypostasis is a Greek word that means existence or substance, and the hypostatic union refers to the idea that two natures, the human and the divine, were united together in one individual existence. But how should we understand this? Was Jesus some sort of half-God, half-human hybrid? Was he only sometimes God and other times human? Did the coming together of the human and divine natures create some new third nature that had never existed before? None of these suggestions will work, but then what will? And this is where the analogy of the wave-particle duality comes in handy. Because just like in physics, two incompatible natures, the wave and the particle, coexist inseparably and without contradiction in a single entity, so too with Jesus Christ. In him, the divine nature and the human nature were always fully present in the same person. Every activity of the human Jesus was also, at the same time, an action of God. And anything that God did in, through, and as Jesus Christ was something that the human being, Jesus of Nazareth, did. To modify what Albert Einstein said about the wave-particle duality, neither the human nature nor his divine nature separately explains the phenomenon of Jesus Christ, but together they do. Now, this is difficult to grasp how Jesus could be both God and human at the same time, but the ancient theologians continually stressed it as something essential to our relationship with God. 
One theologian said, What has not been assumed has not been redeemed. And what he meant was, humans could only be fully redeemed if God had taken our full human nature onto himself. Another theologian said, He became like us so that we might become like him. And what he meant was, Jesus shared fully in our humanity so that we could share in his life with God. In the book of John, it says it like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so we have, this, we have this thing going on in physics that Albert Einstein observed, that if you, if you go all the way down to a particle, if you go as small as you can observe, that you find out that, that everything has this duality. It can be observed as particle and as wave. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't fully understand it. I'm not a physicist. Some of you are much more scientific than I am, and you might be able to help us out. But here's what I... What I gather from that is that Einstein said, you know, the only way we can explain these things in the known universe is if they're both at the same time. So if it's possible for that to be true in the known universe of stuff around us, and it's in in leaves outside or, or water droplets that fall as rain, it can also be true in the person of Jesus Christ that at the same time he has this dual characteristic, this hypostatic union. So in the video, they referred us to a couple of early church fathers, and I have to say, one of my favorite is Athanasius. <clears throat> and Athanasius said this. He said, Jesus became what we are, that, we might, that he might make us what he is. You see, he became fully human so that he would demonstrate for us that it is possible to be fully human and entirely capable of honoring God. Entirely capable of doing things that were godly and holy. So we don't have to say, you know, I'm only human. Because the truth is you're not only human. You are human, but you're not just human. You are also a child of God. You are also recreated, created and recreated in his image. And so we have this in a sense, some kind of a duality in us as well. That we're not going to say, I am God. But we would like to say, I would, I would like to be Christ-like. I would like to be godly. And so the importance of Christ being human, of Jesus having human form and actually bleeding and actually dying is terribly important to me because it gives me this hope that in my human life, even though I make mistakes and I mess up and I hurt people around me and I have regrets, at the same time it is possible for me to do things that are godly and holy that will please God and bring honor to him. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ that I have that hope. And Athanasius said, Jesus did that. He became like us so that we could be altered and transformed and our lives can change to be like him. I want to quote another one. Augustine of Hippo, great writer of the early church, said, Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, and the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, 
that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. You know, one of the, one of the hard things about Lent, as we walk through the Gospels and we walk through the life of Jesus, we see what a cost it was for Christ to take on human flesh. That he was treated in these ways. So, you know, when somebody treats us in these ways, when they make fun of us, abuse us, ignore us, we get to rest in the knowledge that they did that to him too. And yet he honored God. And yet he was godly. And so one of the significance of Lent is that we are reminded that it was costly for him to become human, but it is incredibly, unspeakably valuable to us that he did. In doing so, he he is with us in every way we can... Uh, Scripture tells us that he can identify with every trial that we experience. Have you ever, in a moment of self-pity, said these words to somebody who's trying to, they're trying to comfort you or console you, but you feel sorry for yourself and you go, well, you just wouldn't understand because you're not going through this stuff. You don't know what it feels like. I'm here to tell you that we have a Savior who knows exactly what it feels like. So if you say that to me, I'll try to be gracious with you, but I will tell you, but you, you have a Lord and Savior who does. You see, God as human makes possible the hope of us humans actually being holy. It makes possible the hope that we can live to honor God in this life. That We don't have to say, you know... Eventually, I'll leave this life and then I'll leave all the problems and all the pain and and I'll actually honor God at that point when I die. Please don't wait that long. But let's live our lives now in ways that speak of him and bring him honor. So if this is true, it gives us these incredible, incredible possibilities of grace. You see, what the human divine Jesus makes possible for us is that his presence can be at work in us as well as it was in him. When Jesus left and ascended back into heaven after he died and was resurrected, he had gathered his followers around him and he gave them this one last command. He said, now you go back to Jerusalem and you gather there and you wait because I'm sending my spirit. I'm sending a comforter who will come and you, and he says, I love this, and you will receive power. That was the promise. That was the last promise of Jesus while he was in human form. He said, and you will receive power. And so if that's true, and that anointing, that baptism of God's Spirit was available to the disciples and is available to us today, we get to have the power of God resident inside of us. That means that we no longer have to keep sinning. 
We no longer have to do things that seem to be outside of our power to change that displease God. That means that that victory is not just victory in the cross, in the death of Christ, but it's victory in the life of Christ that lived in this world and experienced all the cruddy things of this world and yet brought pleasure to the Father. That gives me tremendous hope. That means that I can see people around me and understand the possibility that their lives can change in dramatic and wonderful ways that would make God smile. That means that holy living is possible in human form because we've seen it happen with Christ. You turn to me and you might say, you know what though, we don't walk on water. But you know what? Jesus wasn't the only one who walked on water. You remember that? Peter said, Lord, if you call me, I'll come. And he jumped over the side of the boat and for a moment, (laughs) he walked on water. And just like us in the storms of life when things are just crashing around us and we see that Jesus is above and beyond the stuff of this world, we can say, you know what? I'm jumping overboard because if Jesus can do it, I will do it with him. And it, it, it raises the possibility that if we have this connection with him, we are capable of far more and much better. 